This is Guns and Butter. the information from the different published animal feeding studies and the results were pretty profound. The level of immune system and inflammation response was pretty dramatic and if inflammation is in fact the basis of all these different diseases then GMOs may be the reason why so many of these inflammatory based diseases are on the rise since the GMO introduction in the late 90s. I'm Bonnie Faulkner. Today on Guns and Butter, Jeffrey M. Smith. Today's show genetic roulette. Jeffrey Smith is the executive director of the Institute for Responsible Technology. The Institute's Campaign for Healthier Eating in America mobilizes citizens, organizations, businesses, and the media to achieve the tipping point of consumer rejection of genetically modified foods. His meticulous research documents how biotech companies continue to mislead legislators and safety officials to put the health of society at risk and the environment in peril. He is the author of Seeds of Deception, Exposing Industry and Government Lies About the Safety of the Genetically Engineered Foods You're Eating, and Genetic Roulette, The Documented Health Risks of Genetically Engineered Foods. Jeffrey Smith, welcome. Hello, Bonnie. How are you? Good. Thank you, Jeffrey. You are coming out with a new film, Genetic Roulette, the gamble of our lives. How is the genetic modification of genes a gamble? Well, the whole process of genetic engineering, transferring genes between species, creating massive collateral damage in the DNA, is fraught with unpredicted side effects. I mean, there's up to 5% of the naturally functioning genes in a cell can change their levels of an expression when another gene is inserted. So you have hundreds or thousands of mutations up and down the DNA. You can be turning on a gene that produces a a new allergen, like happened in Monsanto's corn, or increase the levels of an existing allergen as happened in their soy, and no one is checking, and we're feeding it to everyone who eats, and people are getting sick, according to so many sources. So it's a huge gamble. Now, how are scientists mixing and matching genes across the species barrier? That is to say, there is a normal species barrier which genes do not cross. But in the lab, this normal barrier is being bridged so that genes from one species are being transplanted to another. Is this dangerous? Well, first of all, it's not natural. They have spider genes inserted into goats to make spiderweb protein to produce bulletproof vests. They have uh, human genes inserted into corn to make spermicide. There's a lot of experiments, uh, Frankenstein-type experiments going on in the laboratory. Uh, in the food that we eat, we have genes from bacteria and viruses, and the whole process of insertion is dangerous, as I mentioned. And then the inserted genes produce things which could be allergenic or toxic, For example, the toxin that's produced inside the corn that's genetically engineered called BT corn, it produces a toxin that breaks open the stomach of insects and kills them. We were told that that was completely safe for humans and mammals until earlier this year when they discovered that in fact breaks open cells in human cells. So we have a really serious issue where we're putting toxins into the food supply and they're designed to kill insects, but they also might be causing leaky gut, inflammatory bowel and other problems. 
I understand that a virus is used to turn genes on. What does this mean? Is a virus used to cause genes from one species to become active in a gene sequence in another species that should not be turned on? Well, there's a promoter from a virus that's used in most GM crops. Now, the promoter is, in fact, the on switch, just as you mentioned. And normally in a DNA sequence, it's kind of orchestrated by the needs of the cell. The cell will say, okay, we need more of this gene or these family of genes to kick in. And the promoters will switch and generate the amount of genes, the amount of proteins that are necessary. But when you insert a foreign gene, it's not part of that orchestrated symphony. And so they insert an artificial on switch from a virus, and that turns it on 24-7 around the clock. Now, this has a number of implications. First of all, it's pumping out lots and lots of proteins, so it's creating a lot of energy drain for the cell, which could end up causing unpredicted side effects. Secondly, the on switch might turn on other genes that are downstream that just happen to be there because the gene was inserted at random. So when, when human gene therapy was done, a promoter switched on an oncogene producing a carcinogen, causing the people who had the human gene therapy to get cancer and die. Uh, with the foods that we eat, we're sticking genes in, but not even looking downstream to see what it might be turning on permanently other than the inserted genes. So in that sense, I consider that like throwing darts at the DNA saying, let's turn something on permanently and not even see if it causes problems. Now, do genetic modifications cause mutation? And what is mutation? And this is a very important point. The process of insertion causes changes in the genetic code, usually along the flanking regions, just upstream or downstream from the inserted gene. And so when you change the genetic code, we'll call that a mutation. Now, in addition to the insertion process, which is often done with a gene gun or with bacterial infection, you have what's called tissue culture or cloning, where you take the cell that now has the new gene and you have to grow it into a plant. The process of tissue culture is known to promote lots and lots of mutations. And that's where you get mutations up and down the DNA. And so the whole process of genetic engineering scrambles the normal code hundreds or thousands of different ways, changes the gene expression, and these are the quality and quantity of the mutations that occur are different than those in selective breeding, which is natural. So it's an unnatural practice that's fraught with unpredicted changes in the genetic code. Well, does genetic modification then change the natural expression of the genetic sequence? I think this is what you've been talking about. And what are the implications of a change in genetic expression? Well, they don't check to see which genes are changed before putting the stuff on the market. We do have one independent study that looked at Monsanto's BT corn, and they found 43 different proteins that were significantly increased or decreased, uh, deleted or turned off or turned on. Now, the authors pointed out that one of the genes, which is normally silent, which was turned on, was a gene that produces a known allergen. So that means in Monsanto's corn, not in natural corn, there's an allergen which might be causing allergic reactions, possibly anaphylactic shock and death. Now, that was only 
interesting to the authors. They said, interestingly, um, but what was of, of grave concern to them, most more worrisome, was the fact that many of the proteins that were existing naturally in the crop had been truncated, so their shape was completely different. And this demonstrates massive changes in the metabolic pathways that they have no idea why that happened. And when you change the shape of a protein, you can convert it from a harmless protein to a potentially deadly one. And so when they found out about this, they were very concerned because no one had looked at this before the corn went on the market, and in fact, it might be deadly. Do these genetic modifications created in laboratories not exist in nature? Well, they definitely don't exist in nature. When you start putting in gene sequences from a virus, from bacteria, from a plant, you change the genetic codes so that the bacterial gene will work better in a plant. One of the ways that genetic engineering is different than normal sexual reproduction is that it dismantles the normal barriers that typically prevent genes from plants and food that we eat to transfer into the DNA of bacteria living inside our intestines. And this is important because what we're finding now in the only human feeding study on GMOs is that the part of the gene inserted into soybeans to make the soybeans Roundup ready, meaning unkillable with Roundup herbicide, so basically it's a weeding technology, that, that part of the gene inserted into soybeans transferred into the DNA of the bacteria living inside our intestines, and that bacteria was not killable with Roundup, suggesting that the gene was continuing to function even after it transferred into the gut bacteria. This means long after we stop eating genetically modified foods, we may have these foreign proteins produced continuously inside our digestive tract, and that's unique to these GMOs. Now, the Roundup-ready gene has properties of an allergen. The Bt toxin gene, we find, not only is a potential allergen, but can drill holes in human cells, and in fact, it's gotten through the cells. They found it in 93% of the pregnant women's blood that they tested and in 80% of their unborn fetuses. I think it was in such high percentage of these people's blood because our gut bacteria has been colonized by genes from corn. So we eat a corn chip. The corn has corn that produces a toxin that kills insecticide. The gene that produces that toxin transfers to our gut bacteria. It continues to function and produce uh, toxic insecticide. So we're producing toxic insecticide continuously inside of us if this theory is correct. And and all indications are that it might very well be throughout North America. Well, now, if that is the case, and that our guts are then producing pesticides, what effect on the human body would that have? Do they know? Well, they have claimed for many years that this Bt toxin produced by these corn was safe for humans, but they ignored the fact that when it was sprayed in its natural state, not from corn, but in its natural soil bacteria state, hundreds of people got allergic and flu-like symptoms, farm workers had allergic reactions, animals had damage to their intestines and allergic reactions, immune system reactions. So I think that it's probably related. When I talk to, to medical doctors about Bt toxin, they say this might explain the increase in gastrointestinal disorders we've seen in our practice since 19, 
the mid-90s, essentially when GMOs were introduced. Now, in the film Genetic Roulette, The Gamble of Our Lives, we track seven different types of inflammatory diseases of the gastrointestinal system, including inflammatory bowel disease, up 40% since GMOs were introduced. Um, we have ulcerative colitis, Crohn's disease, gastrointestinal infections, etc. And these may be a direct result of the BT toxin or other problematic aspects of GMOs. What's very telling is that when humans are taken off of GMOs by the thousands of doctors that prescribe non-GMO diets, they report improvements or complete alleviation of things like irritable bowel and Crohn's disease. When pigs are taken off of genetically engineered feed, in this case soybeans, so it's not even the BT toxin, it's the Roundup Ready, their massive problems with diarrhea go away. A veterinarian who writes a syndicated column for 25 to 30 million people, he said when GMOs were introduced, pet owners described dogs and cats as having diarrhea, inflammatory bowel, and immune system problems. He took them off of the GM soy and corn. The problems disappeared immediately. So we do think that GMOs are in fact uh, making these problems worse or causing them in the first place. And we see the same problems found in laboratory animals that are fed GMOs, as well as those that get better when pets or livestock or humans eliminate GMOs from their diet. What are the effects of eating genetically modified food to, say, the immune system of humans? Is it that the human immune system does not recognize these new gene sequences and consequently attacks the human body itself? Yes, the thing is, I was at a uh, couple of conferences of doctors, and they were very clear. One said clearly, the immune system, uh, and this is in the film, they're both in the film, uh, treats these foreign uh, sequences as foreign, and it attacks them and causes an inflammatory reaction. And then another doctor basically said flat out that GMOs cause inflammation, and inflammation is the basis of so many diseases, not just gastrointestinal, but diabetes and thyroid disease and kidney disease and heart disease. And so the fact that it is foreign is very significant because the immune system, by definition, will evaluate something and see if it's foreign. And if it's foreign, then it will deal with it with an immune-triggered reaction. Uh, basically, every competent animal feeding study done on GMOs that looked at the immune system found significant reactions, and some were quite dramatic. So if we have an inflammatory reaction, that's a serious issue. If we also have holes drilled in our gut walls, if we have leaky gut, that can also exacerbate immune system reactions by putting not fully digested food particles into the bloodstream, and that can cause an antibody response, which can lead to food allergies, inflammation, autoimmune disease, as well as possibly Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, autism, and a whole spectrum of disease. I'm speaking with leading consumer advocate and author, Jeffrey M. Smith. Today's show, Genetic Roulette. I'm Bonnie Faulkner. This is Guns and Butter. Well, so then what role does inflammation play in the reaction to genetically modified food? Now, obviously, if we're getting inflammation as a reaction, why is inflammation uh, not a good thing? Well, it, there was a cover of Time magazine a few years ago, and this was big news in the 
uh, health industry, how inflammation was the secret killer. Now, I'm not an immunologist, so I can't describe the sequence, but essentially I can say that it provides a significant disruption, which is the basis for widespread diseases. I did do a, a presentation to some medical conferences where I worked with a medical doctor, and we created a presentation called GMO Inflammation and Autoimmune Disease. And the, we gathered the information from the different published animal feeding studies, and the results were pretty profound. The level of immune system and inflammation response was pretty dramatic. And if inflammation is, in fact, the basis of all these different diseases, then GMOs may be the reason why so many of these inflammatory-based diseases are on the rise since the GMO introduction in the late 90s. So if a person has inflammation, then that inflammation, does the inflammation uh, connote that the body is, is reacting to something? Yes, that would be, that is my understanding. But um, if we ask beyond this, I'm going to have to say it's above my pay grade. Because, the, I mean, I've seen the pictures, the hist histologies, I've seen the graphs, but the specific uh, uh, mechanisms are, I don't understand. What about other reactions to GMOs? Uh, we've talked about allergies, autoimmune disease. What about heart disease, thyroid disease, etc.? Is it true that GMOs can affect all of the bodily systems? Again, absolutely. Because of the inflammation piece on the one hand, because of uh, not fully properly digesting food on the other, because of the potential for leaky gut on the other side. And then there's another aspect, and that is nutrient deficiency. Um, this is another aspect of GMOs that's not well understood or well, well known. Uh, most of the GMOs out there are designed not to die when sprayed with Roundup. Roundup herbicide is the world's best-selling herbicide. It's Monsanto's product. Monsanto sells the Roundup-ready crops. And Roundup was originally um, patented as a broad-spectrum chelator. So it actually binds with or hugs nutrients, making them unavailable to the plants. So the plants are nutrient deficient, and they become diseased very easily. Roundup also promotes diseases in the soil, which kill the weakened plant. That's how it kills weeds. So you end up with nutrient deficient plants. Then the animals eat the nutrient deficient plants, and they end up nutrient deficient. We eat the nutrient-deficient animals and plants, plus the plants have residues of Roundup, which can further chelate or hug the nutrients in our bodies, making them unavailable. So there's already a nutrient deficiency in the soil of the United States compared to, say, 50 or 100 years ago, and that becomes exacerbated with the nutrient deficiency promoted by Roundup-ready crops. And nutrients are absolutely critical. They're like they allow certain metabolic processes to happen. They're like the catalysts, the keys in the lock. And without them, there's hundreds of different diseases and disorders which can come up from nutrient deficiency. So, uh, you know, Roundup binds with cobalt, which can block B12, which is very dangerous. It can block manganese, which can affect allergies and reproductive disorders. It can affect magnesium, which is absolutely critical in so many functions. And so we're basically can be starving ourselves of certain nutrients by eating a diet that has a lot of this Roundup in it. So then are you saying that the Roundup uh, hugs or attaches itself to certain nutrients, and by so doing, those nutrients then are cut off from absorption, that they can't be used? Exactly. So if you test 
for nutrients in a crop, for example, if you do the, the wrong test, you may say, oh, this crop has plenty of nutrients. If you do the right test, you realize these nutrients are completely unavailable. They exist, but they're already tied up by the glyphosate, which is the active ingredient in Roundup, and so they're unavailable to be absorbed. And if you look at the graphs, for example, of how much nutrients that are usable are in fact absorbed into the plant, and then once they're absorbed, how much are transported through the plant, it's ridiculously small. So there's a dramatic reduction in nutrient availability. Well, now you mentioned glyphosate. What is glyphosate? Uh, how is it used, and, and what about its effects on crops and those animals which ingest it? You've already started to talk about this. Yeah, glyphosate is the active ingredient in Roundup. There's a lot of other ingredients that make it more toxic. In fact, there are some ingredients in Roundup that are probably more toxic on their own than the active ingredient glyphosate. Uh, glyphosate is linked to birth defects, and there are many studies that show that. In fact, a recent study, they injected glyphosate and Roundup into the embryos of chickens and, and amphibians, and they had the same kind of birth defects that were found by peasants in Argentina that were sprayed with glyphosate and Roundup. So uh, that's a very serious and very sad disorder. And they found that since Roundup has been used, the uh, birth defect rate in that area where it's used can be as much as 70 times higher than in areas where it's not used. Uh, Roundup also destroys a proper hormone structure. So it can interfere with aromatase, which is part of estrogen production and has testosterone. So it can completely mess up the reproductive systems of mammals and humans. In fact, uh, rodents that were fed Roundup-ready crops had changes in the testicles, changes in the young sperm cells, uterus, ovaries, the DNA functioned differently in the embryo offspring. There was massive increase in infant mortality, like 50% compared to 10%. Uh, there was sterile offspring by the third generation in one study. Nearly all the animals lost the ability to have babies. Some had hair growing in their mouths. Sometimes the litter size is less or the size of the animal is less. So these may be the reproductive disorders that are being associated with Roundup, which is absorbed into the food portion of the plant. Now, Roundup also promotes diseases in the soil. So there's more than 40 plant diseases that are on the rise in the U.S. because of the use of Roundup, which has skyrocketed since Roundup-ready crops were introduced. You know, I noticed a neighbor of mine spraying Roundup, and I said to her, you know, that's not a good idea. Why are you doing that? And she said that uh, one of her relatives, who has some sort of credentials, I don't remember what they were, uh, explain to her that Roundup is biodegradable. Is this true? No, it's not true. In fact, Monsanto got convicted of false advertising by a New York state court for claiming that Roundup was biodegradable. But that didn't stop them from continuing to advertise in Europe, where they got convicted by a French court. And so it turns out Roundup can take months or years to break down. In Monsanto's own study, only 2% broke down after 28 days. And it takes specialized enzymes in the soil, and under certain conditions, it's almost, I mean, the longest half-life recorded for Roundup was 22 years. 
So the Roundup can influence negatively the growth and vitality of crops planted on the same field after it's sprayed for year after year. How is human fertility affected? How do we know that infertility is on the rise? Well, you can just Google uh, U.S. infertility and and be uh, swamped with descriptions of birth rates down, teen birth rates down. I heard uh, I was giving a talk at a conference the other day, and I heard that there's a town in Iowa where there hasn't been a live birth in five years. The number of infertility clinics is skyrocketed. Someone suggested a 14-fold increase. So it's part of the background culture in the U.S. that's not talked about a lot. People may be embarrassed about reproductive dysfunction, but it's nonetheless on the rise. And it's also an epidemic proportions uh, in livestock. Now, Roundup can affect reproduction in three ways. It can screw up the hormones. It can deprive us of important minerals. But a team of scientists have found that there's a new critter, a new entity, a new organism about the size of a virus. And it's not a virus. It's new to science. They haven't seen it before. And it appears to be in high concentrations in crops and feed that have been sprayed with Roundup. So it's very, very likely that Roundup promotes this new entity and that this entity or organism, pathogen, uh, appears to also produce infertility and miscarriages. So when farmers or ranchers have high levels of miscarriages, they'll send off the aborted fetal tissue to these scientists, and invariably they'll have high concentrations of this organism. And this organism in a laboratory has been shown to kill the embryo of a chicken in 48 hours. Uh, so we, we have evidence that it, in fact, does cause infertility and miscarriages, and that it is in high concentrations in sperm and amniotic fluid and fetal tissue in animals that are infertile or have miscarriages, and it's coming to them from their feed that's sprayed with Roundup. So uh, it has to be confirmed and it needs to be published, but it's serious enough for a, a world expert in this type of of threat to describe it as an emergency. He sent a letter to the Secretary of Agriculture, uh, Tom Vilsack, asking them to delay the approval of Roundup Ready Alfalfa until the this organism had been fully vetted, and he was completely ignored by the USDA, who did not follow up and has just basically pretended that Roundup has no problems. Now, what you're describing, is this what you talk about in your film, Genetic Roulette, as the mystery organism? That's right. And Don Huber is the scientist whose face is on it, and he has worked for 40 years in the private and military organizations that evaluate and prepare for the threats of the outbreak of diseases, including biological warfare and natural diseases. And he said, based on my experience, this is an emergency, and he was ignored. And so we don't know what this mystery organism is. No, we don't. It's not a virus, a phage, a bacteria. It's, it seems to act like a, a fungus, but it would be the first fungus of that size. So they're, they've got the DNA, they're sequencing it now, and we should know soon. 
And then GMOs are linked to birth defects. I believe you said that as well. Isn't that right? Yes, definitely. So the birth defects may not be from this organism. We don't know. But it, it is absolutely linked to birth defects. And it's one of the things, in fact, that was hidden. It was found in Monsanto's studies that they submitted to regulators 30 years ago. But both Monsanto and the regulators never let it out of the bag and never told anyone. There's an extensive article, a uh, long, long report showing that uh, Roundup is linked to birth defects and that that's been covered up. Now, what are the health effects of mineral deficiency? You touched on this a bit. And is mineral deficiency caused by genetic modification of crops? Yes, the, this is the Roundup piece. This is where they it, it uh, binds with the minerals, keeping them unavailable. Um, there's a lot of information about diseases related to mineral deficiency. In fact, some scientists and some medical doctors blame mineral deficiency as one of the most important causes of disease. I don't know how mainstream that is, but certainly if you look at mineral deficiency and disease, you'll find a lot of links. Uh, Linus Pauling found that. Um, it's, very, it's very well established. I'm speaking with leading consumer advocate and author, Jeffrey M. Smith. Today's show, Genetic Roulette. I'm Bonnie Faulkner. This is Guns and Butter. Was genetically modified food first introduced in 1996, specifically corn and soy? Yeah, they were in 96. There was a tomato introduced two years before, which quickly left the market because it was a marketing flop. Uh, canola and cotton were also brought in that, around that time, 96. And uh, now we have sugar from sugar beets. We have alfalfa for hay. We have papaya from Hawaii and China and some zucchini and crookneck squash. The potatoes that had been introduced were taken off the market 11 years ago. Um, there's a lot of genetically engineered crops in the pipeline waiting to be introduced, but there's only nine commercialized foods or food-related crops now in the United States. Now, if we buy a zucchini that is not organic, is it necessarily going to be genetically modified or only maybe? It's a genetic roulette. It's another way of figuring you don't know because it could be 100% GMO or it could be non-GMO. So we don't know. There's no labeling. Exactly. And I want to talk to you in a few minutes about the labeling uh, ballot initiative here in California. That's quite important. Now, in addition to the foods that you've listed that have been genetically modified, like corn, soy, canola, Zucchini, I, I believe crookneck squash is another one. Um, there are there are a few others. Now these uh, genetically modified foods are then used as ingredients in many many other products, right? I mean, if for instance, maybe you're even in a so-called health food store and you pick up a tub of hummus and you look on the label, it's not olive oil, it's canola oil. Now, if that doesn't say organic canola oil, can we assume then that the canola oil in the hummus is then uh, genetically modified? Yes. If it doesn't say organic and it doesn't say non-GMO, if it says canola, it's GMO. Uh, it's nine, 90 to 95% of the canola in North America is genetically engineered not to die when sprayed with Roundup or with another 
herbicide. And so with that, they, they just dump all the canola into these big crushers and make oil. And the oil is mostly from genetically modified canola. There is some organic canola. There is some non-GMO canola, but it'll boast and brag about it on the label because they go to a lot of trouble to keep it separate. Exactly. So now when you say that doctors have to take patients with certain physical ailments off of genetically modified food, that's kind of a difficult proposition when you start considering all of the different ingredients and all these different products. Yes, it's true. A lot of a lot of the doctors and just consumers have become aware of this. They they opt for our non-GMO shopping guide as a way to more easily navigate uh, to the healthier non-GMO choices. And we offer that free of charge at non-gmoshoppingguide.com where you can look at 4,000 or so different products that are third-party verified as non-GMO. You can download an iPhone application. Again, it's also free called Shop No GMO. We also have a low-cost pocket guide which simply lists the brands, not all of the 4,000 products. So it helps you find the brands in the supermarket, and then you look at the actual products to see if they say non-GMO or not. So it is difficult uh, without mandatory labeling, but the non-GMO voluntary label has become one of the fastest growing label claims in America for the past three years, demonstrating a rise in consumer concern, which in my mind will lead to a consumer tipping point uh, very soon, I hope. Well, now, uh, your shopping list is very, very helpful. But in addition, people are always going to have to read labels, right? Yes, and hopefully they'll have the label contains GMOs like they have in Europe, in China, in Russia, uh, most of the world. I mean, actually, 40% of the world lives in, in countries where labeling is required. That's about 50 countries, nearly all the industrialized world, but not in the U.S. or Canada where the governments have been promoting GMOs. And so they know that most Americans say they would avoid GMOs if labeled. And the FDA would be, would, it, theoretically, they're supposed to label things like this, but they've also been mandated, officially charged with promoting GMOs. So because they don't want to hurt sales, they don't want people to know that they're eating GMOs because people may not want to eat them. So they've kept us in the dark. Uh, whereas the same companies that have removed GMOs in Europe or labeled them there sell us GMOs here without telling us. Did the uh, FDA rule that safety studies were not necessary for the introduction of GMOs into the public's food supply? Isn't that amazing? That's true. It, and, you know, it was completely at odds with the scientific advice of their own scientific staff. Their overwhelming consensus was GMOs are unsafe. GMOs could create allergies that'll be hard to find or toxins or new diseases or nutritional problems. Over and over again in the memos that we came public from a lawsuit seven years after the policy was created, we were able to read the memos and show that these scientists were concerned. But the political appointee in charge of policy completely overruled the scientists, ignored their recommendations and said Monsanto, who told us that PCBs, Agent Orange and DDT were safe, could put GMOs on the market without telling us anything and without even telling the FDA since no safety studies were needed. Well, the person in charge of policy was Monsanto's former attorney, later Monsanto's vice president, now the U.S. food safety czar in the Obama administration. Well, now, who is Michael Taylor? That's the man. 
Michael Taylor. He's the one. He's the one that I think is responsible for more food-related illnesses and death than anyone in human history. And he's in charge of food safety in the United States. And he, he went from FDA to Monsanto's attorney to FDA to USDA to Monsanto's vice president to FDA. Now, at the FDA itself, there are a lot of employees. Now, is it true that many of these uh, FDA employees are former Monsanto employees? Yes, several of them are, and many of them are future employees of the companies that they regulate, whether it's Monsanto or the drug companies. And not only does does it go back and forth between the FDA, but the other branches of government. So you have uh, Tom Vilsack, Secretary of Agriculture. He was the biotech governor of the year in Iowa, 2001. He's now the Secretary of Agriculture. Uh, We have the U.S. Trade Representative for Agriculture uh, coming from the Biotechnology Trade Association. We have the head of USAID, Agency for International Development, basically a biotech guy. Uh, even even when Monsanto was getting their bovine growth hormone approved by the FDA, uh, the person who was the lead reviewer used to work for Monsanto doing research on bovine growth hormone. And then one of the divisions that were evaluating Monsanto's research was run by one of Monsanto's former scientists who did the research. So it was a complete stacked deck. And when one independent scientist who I interviewed who used to work at the FDA, started to hold up the approval process because he said the tests were ridiculous and needed to be done more effectively. He was fired. He filed a lawsuit, and at the courts, it became clear, and his boss admitted it, that he was set up to be dismissed because of this interfering with the approval process. So they were forced to take him back. So the whole thing was basically a captured regulatory agency, not independent scientists doing science. Now, unfortunately, it is true that the Obama administration has appointed uh, former Monsanto officials, right? Yeah, in fact, the Obama administration has been worse than the Bush administration. So all those that I mentioned, plus another person that was giving out money for the USDA research, who was a GMO guy, all of them were put in place by the Obama administration. Uh, but But we can't single this administration out because the Bush administration, the Clinton administration, the other Bush administration, even the Reagan administration, were all basically pushing in favor of biotechnology, marching lockstep. And if you read the WikiLeaks, you'll realize that the entire State Department apparatus has been deployed as an enforcement wing for Monsanto, among other things. One ambassador to France said we should draw up a retaliation list against the countries that are not accepting GMOs and then, quote, cause some pain. This The uh, ambassador to Spain wanted Washington to put pressure on Brussels and to help the Spanish government come up with a pro-GM policy. It goes on and on and on. Wow. Is it true that biotechnology companies do their own testing? And for how long are these tests conducted? Well, I call their tests tobacco science. Uh, in my book, Genetic Roulette, Uh, In part three, we have 41 pages where we catch them absolutely red-handed, where they have bad science down to a science. They use the wrong detection methods, the wrong control groups, the wrong statistics, and then they smuggle things into their testing that are completely wrong. Um, If they find problems, even death among the animals fed GMOs, they dismiss it without scientific justification. And so they they do their... 
animal feeding studies really short. So 90 days is the longest. And so Monsanto thinks that a rat fed 33% corn for 90 days would be sufficient to protect the health of, say, people living in South Africa that eat maybe 70% of their diet as corn for their whole lives. And so it, when you just check for 90 days, you can't check for diseases that take longer to develop, like cancer, or intergenerational diseases like birth defects or, or other things. And so it's designed specifically to avoid finding problems. What can you tell us about U.S. Agricultural Secretary Tom Vilzak? Well, he it's interesting. You know, he is the probiotic guy I mentioned. He was expected to be marching lockstep with Monsanto. Um, but when the Roundup Ready alfalfa was approved, he was looking at three different options, to approve it, to not approve it, or to approve it with a partial deregulation where there was going to be restrictions on the seeds so that it would be less likely to contaminate non-GM alfalfa. And according to insiders, he was, for the first time, the first Secretary of Agriculture to invite the organic industry to the table. And he was aware, as everyone is, that GMOs can destroy organic agriculture because of contamination. So he was tracking in the direction of a partial deregulation of alfalfa. But he was then instructed by the Obama White House to abort his plans and to do a complete approval and not to protect the seeds. And I think it was Newsweek or some major investigative piece blamed a phone calls from Bill Gates and possibly George Soros to Obama, asking them, asking Obama to put the pressure on Vilsack. So Vilsack has been pro-GMO. He's been basically terrible on the genetic engineering front. But in one case, the White House was worse than Vilsack. I'm speaking with leading consumer advocate and author Jeffrey M. Smith. Today's show, Genetic Roulette. I'm Bonnie Faulkner. This is Guns and Butter. And you're saying that Bill Gates and George Soros lobbied the White House to put the pressure on Vilsack to simply go ahead and approve the genetic modification of alfalfa? That was according to one report. I don't have any detailed documentation on that, but I can tell you this. We do know that Bill Gates Foundation has 500,000 shares in Monsanto, that their agricultural outreach programs are run by a former Monsanto vice president, that he was approached by the Rockefeller Foundation, which is a pro-GM group that's worked with Monsanto for years, and given their orientation and sales pitch a number of years ago, and since then he's been giving billions of dollars for GMO work in Africa, even though the Africans don't want it. They don't want GMOs. So Bill Gates, unfortunately, has taken the the Kool-Aid, thinking that GMOs are safe, thinking that the technology with genetic engineering is as predictable, uh, or even more predictable probably than software engineering, not realizing that it's far more complex and far more unreliable and not ready for prime time. I mean, maybe someday we can safely and predictably manipulate the DNA for the benefit of, of human health and the environment. But today, in the current technology, the the world's experts at feeding the world, over 400 scientists who have produced this report, sponsored by the UN, etc., 
agree that the current generation of GMOs has nothing to offer feeding a hungry world or eradicating poverty or creating sustainable agriculture. In fact, it, one of the heads of that report said, it's unclear that it offers any benefits whatsoever, except we do know that it offers benefits to the companies like Monsanto that sell the seeds and associated chemicals. And their plan explicitly is to replace nature with their GMO seeds and insects and livestock and fish. Well, I was about to ask you, what are some of the GMO myths? And what are the claims made by Monsanto that these crops are beneficial? And is there any evidence for these claims? Well, we've already handled the feed the world piece. I mean, that's just a PR uh, concoction that they spent $250 million convincing many Americans that it was true. Uh, one of the excuses that they claim is that GMOs would increase yield and that yield increase is needed to feed the hungry world. Well, right now we have enough food to feed one and a half times the population, and the experts agree that yield is not the key. Uh, it's access to food, and that's largely a poverty issue. But even if, even if yield was critical, the biotech industry fails completely on that score because natural selection is far more effective at increasing yield, and the average GM crop reduces yield. The biotechnology industry also pretended that using GMOs would reduce the use of agricultural chemicals. It dramatically increases. The amount of herbicide over the first 16 years was increased by over half a billion pounds. Uh, they claim that GMOs have been safe and proven safe by the FDA, but it's true that the FDA doesn't require any single safety study. And at the end of their meaningless exercise of voluntary consultation, they simply issue a piece of paper which reminds companies like Monsanto that it's its responsibility to determine if the foods are safe. They, they give a myth that GMOs are properly tested. We've covered some of that, but what we haven't discussed, in fact, is that when independent scientists discover problems, they're typically fired, stripped of responsibilities, forced out, threatened, denied tenure, and certainly denied funding for follow-up. So the amount of independent scientists who are trying to do research is a handful. You can't get the seeds from the companies because they won't release them. When they do, you can't get the money. If you do get the money, you can't get it published. And if you get it published, you get attacked. So there's very little independent studies, but the stuff that does go on has led the American Academy of Environmental Medicine, among others, to conclude that there's so many problems that every doctor should prescribe non-GMO diets to every patient because there's a causal relationship between the feed fed to GM uh, rodents and lab animals uh, and with things like reproductive disorders, immune system problems, gastrointestinal problems, faster aging, organ damage, and insulin and cholesterol dysfunction. So then have academics, researchers, and scientists been intimidated by Monsanto? Oh, it's not. Yeah, you, I mentioned scientists, but it's also it's basically everyone that tries to get in the way. I, I've been to 34 countries speaking about this, and I've talked to um, I've talked to politicians who describe how they were there was attempted bribes. There was a, a regulator from Canada that was offered a bribe of one to two million dollars. That was by Monsanto, according to them. Uh, the there's a UC Berkeley professor who was going to release some information about contamination of GM corn into the indigenous corn varieties in Mexico. He told me that a senior Mexican government official threatened him, implying we know where your children go to school. I talked to a top reporter from a major major uh, media outlet. She says she thinks that the 
PR people at Monsanto are trained in intimidation because that's what she's been seeing. But Monsanto has been voted as the most hated company on earth. I think it's 11 straight years, and they've got stiff competition. So uh, this is one of the one of the ways that they go around and push around the world is through intimidation as well as through offers of money. Now, what is the stated goal of Monsanto? Is it true that the company wants to replace all of the natural seed of the world with GMO seed? And the associated chemicals. So they sell Roundup Ready seeds with Roundup. And this was revealed, happened to be in San Francisco, at a conference around uh, late January 1999. And Arthur Anderson, uh, the company that was Monsanto's consultant, they were also Enron's consultant, which gives you an idea, they spilled the beans on this on this particular um, desire. They said that Arthur Anderson Company worked backwards from the goal of 100% replacement of nature and worked backwards from that goal to create the strategy and tactics to achieve it. It was looking out about 15 to 20 years at the time. So if they had their own schedule, then practically everything we eat, we eat would be genetically engineered by now. Now, what companies, in addition to Monsanto, are also involved with uh, genetic modification, uh, both with regard to products, and then I guess there are biotech uh, companies as well, right? Right. So the the plants are being modified for food by uh, Monsanto, DuPont, Dow, Syngenta, Bayer, and a little bit BASF. Those are the only food crops that are being genetically engineered. There's other, other groups like Aqua Bounty that have a fish. They want to introduce genetically modified fast-growing salmon. Uh, there's a group out of the UK that has released genetically modified mosquitoes in three countries. They want to release it in the Florida Keys. Talk about a cleanup problem. It's just irreversible. So um, then you get into genetically engineered drugs, which I, I think are – a lot safer, of course, than releasing the products of this infant science into the food supply or into the environment. So under controlled conditions, GMOs through biotech industry companies may provide great benefit, but when you start getting into the food supply and outdoor release, there's just no justification today for that level of risk. And can the world produce enough food for the population? Well, so far, so good. And according to the head of the UN organization that's supposed to look after that. We've got 1.5 times the amount of food. We have more food per person than any time in human history. And uh, I think that um, if we're just looking for a neck and neck race between GMOs and say we're sustainable or organic, then absolutely sustainable and organic wins hands down. In a study that was looked at over 12 million farms all over the developing world, they found that sustainable methods increased yield by 79% on average. And for things like corn, it was double the yield. So uh, GMOs do not win on any of those challenges. Are infant formulas contaminated with GMOs? Yeah, we actually studied infant formulas. We said we bought some, the four biggest infant formulas, Similac, Enfamil, Gerber's Good Start, and Walmart, and found that they all, the soy-based ones, and they all had GM soy in them, very high amounts. And uh, we contacted them, and they all use GMOs and admit it. They use genetically engineered corn as a sweetener. They use milk from cows treated with bovine growth hormone, which can increase a cancer-promoting hormone in the milk. Uh, in fact, the WIC program, which is the program 
the U.S. government program, which provides free infant formula to 2 million moms, they only give out the genetically modified formula. Now, can you talk about the November California ballot initiative requiring labeling of genetically modified organisms? Is this initiative extremely important in your view? I'd say uh, it's the most important thing going on in the GMO world. Um, it's the number one focus of our of our efforts. I'm in California today touring. I was in Northern California for two weeks in July. I'm in Southern California. You can find our our um, tour schedule at responsibletechnology.org. I'll be back in September and October. Um, basically, giving people a choice to reject GMOs, in my mind, will be pivotal for many reasons. We think that as little as 5% of the shoppers in the U.S. avoiding GM ingredients could turn them into marketing liabilities and create the tipping point that happened in Europe. When the gag order was lifted on a scientist who was a pro-industry insider that discovered that GMOs were unsafe, there was over 700 articles written in the U.K. press, a tipping point happened within 10 weeks, and the same companies over there that sell us GMOs have removed it since then. That was back in 1999. Now, we think that since 53% of Americans say they would avoid GMOs if labeled, we think that the smarter companies would rather remove GMOs than admit that they use them. And if that's the case, they're not going to create a different product and a different brand just for California. It will be a national decision. And so I think that we're going to be seeing a big um, run from GM ingredients by both consumers and by food manufacturers once the labeling issue becomes mandatory. Now, I think we're going to create that in any case by educating people and, and outlets like your own and the film Genetic Roulette, The Gamble of Our Lives, which is very, very explicit about these and other diseases and disorders and what we can do about it. So we think we're going to create a tipping point in any case, but I think that if there's mandatory labeling, it'll be like the cell signal that we're looking for and that we're going to see it very quick. Now, this ballot initiative in California, this is going to be in November, right, during the, uh, the presidential election? Yes, it's called Prop 37, and the way to vote on Prop 37 is yes. So yes on Prop 37. Now, the other side, the Monsanto side, which is largely the biotech industry and the Grocery Manufacturers Association and its members, they are pouring in millions of dollars into a disinformation campaign. So they're going to claim, for example, completely falsely, that by voting for Prop 37, they're going to say that it's going to increase your grocery bill. That's not true. You know, companies change their labels two to five times a year. And by, they have to change a label by July 2014 to say whether, that there's GMOs in there, if there is. Now, Companies may choose to eliminate GMOs, and that's completely their decision. It's a marketing decision. They'll weigh the cost-benefit. No company raised prices in Europe when they got rid of GMOs. No company will raise prices here when they get rid of GMOs if they did the same thing here that they're doing all over the world if they get rid of GMOs. So whether they just label it or get rid of it, there's going to be no increase in prices. But that's the primary lie that you're going to hear in a hugely expensive ad campaign, probably starting after Labor Day. 
And so I want to I want to warn people and I want to ask people who are out there to uh, go to labelgmos.org. And every time you see an advertisement against Prop 37, go to Label GMOs and find the latest true news and send it to at least 10 people or post it on your Facebook many times. And that way, the money spent to disinform will be used against them because it'll be like a wake-up call for those of us that know the truth to get it out in the social media, which will be very, very effective. Jeffrey Smith, thank you very much. Pleasure. I've been speaking with Jeffrey M. Smith. Today's show has been Genetic Roulette. Jeffrey Smith is the executive director of the Institute for Responsible Technology and is a leading consumer advocate for the elimination of genetically modified foods. He is the author of Seeds of Deception, Exposing Industry and Government Lies About the Safety of the Genetically Engineered Foods You're Eating, and Genetic Roulette, the documented health risks of genetically engineered foods. Mr. Smith lives with his wife in Iowa, surrounded by genetically modified soybeans and corn. Please visit the Institute for Responsible Technology website at responsibletechnology.org. Other related websites include labelgmos.org. That's labelgmos.org. And non-gmoshoppingguide.com. That's non-gmoshoppingguide.com. Download the Non-GMO Shopping Guide and iPhone app at www.responsibletechnology.org. Guns and Butter is produced by Bonnie Faulkner and Yara Mako. To leave comments or order copies of shows, email us at blfaulkner at yahoo.com. That's B-L-F-A-U-L-K-N-E-R at yahoo.com. Visit our website at www.gunsandbutter.org. That's G-U-N-S-A-N-D-B-U-T-T-E-R dot O-R-G. Hey, yo, these are some serious times that we're living in, G. And our new world order is about to begin. You know what I'm saying? Now the question is, are you ready for the real revolution, which is the evolution of the mind? If you seek, then you shall find that we all come from the divine. You dig what I'm saying? Now if you take heed to the words of wisdom that are written on the walls of life, then universally we will stand and divided we will fall because love conquers all. You understand what I'm saying? This is a call for all you sleeping souls. Wake up and take control of your own cipher and be on the lookout for the spirit sniper trying to steal your life. You know what I'm saying? Look what this side just said.